welcome to theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Danielson. Yo, guys. What's up? And Anna. Howdy ho. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today, we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the Spear of Destiny. Also, we have several more episodes already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as The Exorcism of Clara Shelley, CERN, The Ouija Board, Glitches in the Matrix, Nexium Cult, Disney Darkness, FEMA, and much more. We have a lot of extra Patreon episodes and a ton of extra blooper reels which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the shop button. Then you will see all the merchandise we have for sale. T-shirts, hoodies, beanies, hats, all that good stuff. I just wanted to say that the money we get from Patreon and the merchandise sales goes to bettering the show. Also, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a ton. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghost Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the contact button, and there you will find our email addresses, which you can get a hold of us that way. All right, that is the end of the announcements. So let's get into today's episode, which is over the Tavistock Institute. So how this episode will go today is that we will first cover what is the Tavistock Institute, and then go into its formation, the history behind it, the current happenings, the strange facts and findings surrounding it, the theories around it, and, of course, wrap it all up with our personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. At face value... The Tavistock Institute seems quite boring. A not-for-profit organization that started in the early 20s, which sought to combine research in the social sciences with professional practice. What if I told you that this once boring institute grew into a sophisticated organization that shaped the destiny of the entire planet and in the process changed modern society? An organization that controls how you feel, what you think, and what you purchase. It is the world's center for mass brainwashing and social engineering. And if mentioned on conspiracy websites, you get automatically banned. They are behind everything from Watergate 
to Vietnam, to the Pentagon Papers, the drug rock counterculture, to even current new trends. All of it being pre-planned social engineering projects, all created by an organization that you have never heard of before. The Tavistock Institute. So to better understand this all, of course, we have to start off with the history of Tavistock. So Anna, can you tell us a little bit about that? For sure. This all starts back in 1921. At this time, many soldiers were coming back from World War I, permanently impaired by shell shock from the intensive artillery blasts. Now, if you don't know what shell shock is, Basically, its common term is now known as post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. It's when a person becomes exposed to a constant threat of danger, which damages that person's psyche, and they are no longer able to leave that state of about-to-die feeling. All right, so these soldiers, like we said, were coming back from World War I with the shell shock. English politician and Duke of Bedford Herbrand Russell gave a building to a group of doctors which planned to conduct rehabilitation programs for these shell-shocked British soldiers. These doctors included general physicians, neurologists, psychiatrists, and one or two physicians also trained in psychology and anthropology. This rehabilitation program that the doctors had founded decided to name themselves Tavistock Clinic. Now, this Tavistock clinic offered free treatment to all who needed it, and it was a voluntary outpatient clinic for both shell-shocked soldiers and regular civilians who were traumatized by the war as well. As time progressed, the Tavistock clinic started to develop an interest in preventive psychiatry, social psychiatry, human behavior, and basically how the mind worked. So in 1941, a group of psychiatrists from the Tavistock Clinic asked the British Parliament if they could try new measures to better understand human behavior, and the Parliament approved it. Five years later, in 1946, with the aid of a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation, the Tavistock Institute was founded. This institute was registered as a charity in September of 1947 in London, England. So, during the 1950s and 60s, Tavistock carried out a number of projects with major manufacturing companies, including Bayer, Shell, and Glacier Metals. Their particular focus for these companies included helping them study consumer behaviors towards certain products, or the reaction of customers towards the adoption or rejection of new technologies. What Tavistock was doing was basically conducting consumer research for these large corporations. These companies wanted to know what the consumer wanted without having to ask them. Yeah, they were basically just saying, hey, we got to study what these people liked and what they don't like so we can sell them more stuff. And we're going to help you with that. Oh. Typical. Yep. In the 1960s and 70s, Tavistock started focusing on public health organizations such as hospitals. They started studying and examining a range of aspects of healthcare, from the hospital staff organization to the individual seeking treatment. For example, one of the studies they did was to find young children with no parents who were taken to the hospital for whatever reason and were admitted to the hospital for treatment. 
Tavistock then studied the young child and documented the psychological impact of that child having to stay at the hospital for a long period of time without parental emotional support. Pretty messed up. That's pretty messed up. Mm. So studies like this continued not only in the 60s and 70s, but all the way up until the early 2000s. Basically, for the past 73 years, Tavistock has been studying the human mind, how it worked, and everything behind it. Could you imagine what they did to those kids being unsupervised? And they're testing the psychology of your mind. So, of course, they're going to push them to limits and past. So that is just so sad. It is very sad. These kids were like uh, basically guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. 100% they were. Yep. So that's a little history behind Tavi Stock. And we didn't dive super deep into it. We just kind of like touched on the brief, you know, spot notes. Because when we get into strange facts and findings, you'll see how deep this rabbit hole goes with this institute. It is absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. It is a giant octopus with many arms in which we couldn't even dive into every part of it because we would spend a week talking about this. So I'm sure you will see us doing more parts of this in the future. Uh, so before we get into the strange facts and findings, I'm going to go over the current happenings with them and what's going on. So today, the Tavistock Institute is now branded as a company that is a not-for-profit think tank, policy consulting organization that has clients that are public sector organizations, including the European Union, British government departments, and of course, United States departments. They operate a $6 billion a year network of foundations in the United States, which, of course, is all funded by the U.S. taxpayers' money. Ten major institutions are under Tavistock's direct control, with 400 subsidiaries and 3,000 other study groups and think tanks. To say the least, they have a major influence on everything around the world. And I heard about this group a long time ago. Probably, when I say a long time ago, it was like in 2013, I want to say. Have y'all heard about this Tavistock any before we started the research on them? Never. Nope. Yeah, they're hidden. It's like they're the Illuminati. Yeah. So uh, I guess let's hop into the strange facts and findings. Anna, do you want to cover the first one that we're going to talk about? Mind control and microwave weapons. Sure. So the first strange fact and finding with these microwave weapons and mind control, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but just hear us out, okay? So we're going back to 1940s. Britain was the first to discover microwave technology and therefore had a commanding lead over everyone else in their field. So shortly after that, in the 1950s, the Tavistock Institute started researching into microwave weapons and their use for mind control. They were researching ways to mind control individuals without them knowing. As they were researching, they found something that they called, quote, the monkey submission response. This is basically the behavior that lower rank monkeys in a group show towards the dominant alpha monkey of the pack. This brain state of being in a submissive behavior was what the researchers at Tavistock wanted to be able to harness and use. And they eventually made a breakthrough and found a specific brain rhythm that put the person in a docile, submissive, zombie-like state. 
This brain rhythm was then recorded and used as a template for the ELF signal, or also known as extremely low frequency signal. The strange thing here is that the ELF signal that gives the docile-like submissive state is also found on UK microwave transmitters. That's just the first (laughs) strange (laughs) fact and finding. And boy, oh boy, is there a ton more like that. Dude, you know what that made me think of, though, this time when I read it was how you could turn a shark upside down and it doesn't react to you. It 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 becomes docile. Mm -hmm. So it's like they found that response in us and it just blows my mind because other animals have the same thing. Yeah. What is it? uh, Crocodiles, if you like put your hand underneath their mouth, you can actually like lift them up and they just kind of just float there. Mm -hmm. Aaron, you want to try that for us? You know, when we did the Men in Black episode, Dan? A long time ago. And we talked yeah. about the uh, how multiple people said that when the men in black came to their door, they asked them if their microwave was running or if it was on. Oh. That made me think of that. What if they were like, whoa, we don't want that ELF signal. To affect them? Yeah, to put us in a docile state. Oh. All right. So what's the next strange fact and finding? The next one we have is John Rawlings Reese. He was a British civilian and military psychiatrist, as well as one of the founding members of the Tavistock Institute. During the Second World War, John was appointed consulting psychiatrist to the British Army. And as a consulting psychiatrist, he oversaw his colleagues' experiments with psychotherapy and selection tests. After the war, Tavistock underwent considerable changes in which John played a key role. Now stay with us here because this next part is very important. So in 1948, John was the chief organizer for the International Congress for Mental Health, which was held in London. At this Congress, the World Federation for Mental Health was founded and John was elected as the first president. Currently, this organization is now a formal consulting body at the United Nations. So why do we mention all this? Well, this John Rawlings Reese had a major influence not only over Tavistock, but pretty much the mental health of the world since he was the president of the World Federation for Mental Health. So get this shit. John was quoted saying, Public life, politics, and industry should all be within our sphere of influence. If we are to infiltrate the professional and social activities of other people, I think we must imitate the totalitarians and organize some kind of fifth column activity. We must aim to make it permeate every educational activity in our national life. We have made a useful attack upon a number of professions. The two easiest of them naturally are the teaching profession and the church. The two most difficult are law and medicine. This individual, who is the president of the World Federation of Mental Health, which consults for the United Nations and was a founding member of Tavistock, is pretty much saying that they need to infiltrate everything in the world. So that way they could control everything. Yeah. Spoiler alert, they already do. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll get into that in the strange facts here soon, too. So this next strange fact and finding is about another person, Kurt Lewin. So in 1932, Kurt Lewin became the director of Tavistock. But get this, one year later, in 1933, he just happened to come to the United States as a refugee. He then set up the Harvard Psychology Clinic. Now, why do I mention this? 
Well, right before World War II, before America was involved in it, the United States started a propaganda campaign to turn the American public against Germany. And this was all to give the United States a reason to be involved in World War II and for the United States citizens to back it. Now, where did this propaganda campaign originate from? The Harvard Psychology Clinic, specifically from Kurt Lewin. Mm. It all goes back to Tavistock. Dude, okay, I don't know if I, we wrote this down in here, but there's a specific way that they got us involved. And, oh man, we did so much research. I really can't remember if I wrote this down or not. But basically, Tavistock was making propaganda that women in the small French village were being sexually assaulted. Their kids were having their arms cut off and their bodies mutilated. Basically, this guy named Clarence Darrow, he investigated this. This was for World War I. Um, in 1915, he investigated this and asked all the women to come forth that had had this happen to them, that the propaganda said that the Germans were doing this to us. Not one woman came forward, and he offered a reward of what is equivalent to today of being $27,000. Jesus. And not one person. And then they, he also asked about kids, bring your kids forward that have had this happen. And no, it was all fake. They lied about it to get us, again, like... We were just talking about to get us into the war. But that was a story I had read that was just like, what the hell? Yeah, even in 1990, right? When Kuwait and Iraq, Iraq was invading Kuwait. And this 15-year-old girl, uh, I think in like October 10th, 1990, went before the United States Congressional Human Rights Caucus. She gave her testimony and it was like publicized everywhere. And she was saying that she witnessed the Iraqi soldiers taking babies out of incubators in a Kuwait hospital and leaving the babies to die or like throwing them out the window and shooting them and shit like that. Oh shit. That was blasted all over the media to give the citizens of the United States to say, Hey, uh, let's go to war with Iraq. Let's help Kuwait, you know? So that of course started desert storm, but then it came out that it was a false testimony that mm -hmm. this, this girl, this 15-year-old girl who gave it, she was the daughter of Saad al-Sabab, the Kuwaiti ambassador to the United States. Yeah. So it's like, what, what the fuck? It's like a total, she made that shit up. So this has been happening. I mean, even currently it's still happening, you know? Uh, gosh, I had something to add, Aaron, to your, your Kuwait thing. Makes you wonder if 9-11 was nothing but a propaganda thing, right? To get us to go to war with Iraq. Oh, that was a thing. In the Middle East. Every time, well, every war starts on a lie, but more importantly, to get us into a war, there has to be a villain, an enemy. So they make out this one person to be the worst of the worst. And then what's the easiest way to get us riled? Children, you know, like trying to hit at our heartstrings to make us react emotionally and not think about where this information is coming from. So you tell me that newborn babies are being put on the floor and freezing to death. Of course, it's going to ignite some people initially, but look into it. If they would have looked deeper to see that she was related to uh, someone who's connected to America and America's trying to go to war with this country, 
it's all adding up. It's all planned. But we don't see that at the time. Everything becomes way more clear after it's done. I don't know. When you say freezing babies, makes me think of Unit 731 and their experiments. Mm. Damn. Yeah, that, that was a heavy episode. Patreon exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. Patreon exclusive. <laughs> all right. So what's the next strange fact and finding? The next one we have is Chatham House. So Chatham House, also known as the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a British-based think tank. It was founded in 1920 and an important part of the British foreign policy establishment. Their mission is to help governments and societies build a sustainably secure, prosperous, and just world. They pursue their missions through dialogue, analysis, and solution-based ideas, and by empowering the next generation to build a better world. The Chatham House owes no allegiance to any government or political body. And they have a famous rule that they go by, the Chatham House Rule. When invoked, ensures the confidentiality of all meeting participants and prohibits attribution of comments. Pretty much no pointing fingers of who said what. Then we got the CFR, which is the Council of Foreign Relations, which was established in 1921. The CFR is the American version of the Chatham House, you could say. Admiral Chester Ward was a U.S. Judge Advocate General of the Navy and member of the CFR. He said the purpose of the CFR was, and I quote, promoting disarmament and submergence of the U.S. sovereignty and national independence into an all-powerful one-world government. So why do we bring up Chatham House and the CFR? Well, Chatham House was the one that established the Tavistock in 1921. And the Chatham House was one of the two groups created by the Roundtable Society, which if you haven't heard of the Roundtable Society, it was a secret society that was started around the 20th century by the Freemasons and a Rothschild agent by the name of Lord Alfred Milner. Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, man, they're everywhere. Yep. The Milner group. Yeah, and the other group the Roundtable Society created alongside Chatham was, of course, the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations that's pretty much located in New York. Nearly every U.S. president has been a member of the CFR since it was created, but, you know, there were some presidents that were not members. But even though they were not a part of the CFR, part of their administrations had members of the CFR a part of it. For some examples, President George Bush, vice president to Ronald Reagan, was CFR, and so were 28 members of his team alone. Then his son, George W. Bush, he wasn't, but his father and uncle were, and his vice president, Dick Cheney, was a member along with his administration. And at the founding meeting of the United Nations, there were 74 members of the CFR. Clinton administration had over 100 CFR members, and Nixon's admin had over 115 members. The CFR always promotes candidates from both political sides, Republican and Democratic, so either way, they win. They have someone involved. So since we're talking about presidents, who's the next one? Man, this, this goes back for sure. We're going to talk about Woodrow Wilson. So he was the 28th president of the United States. He served in office from 1913 to 1921 and led America through World War I. He promoted peace and was strongly against going to war and used that to get into office. Or so he says. He knew he was meant to follow a narrative. There was a whole line of people who called one another to let them know what they needed to be debriefed on that day. So listen to this. It would work like this. Chatham House would give daily orders to Wall Street's J.P. Morgan Company, 
who then sent a message to the White House and let them know what they were expected to do. And if President Wilson had any questions about this at all, he could easily call the Chatham House because he had a direct line to them. He also created the Federal Reserve Act, which without it, we would never have been able to go to any war. See, we do not have any gold or silver in our reserve bank. Whoop. Hope I didn't uh, reveal any secrets there. (laughs) (laughs) And gold and silver is considered real money. Any country would take that as value without having real money to pay people to fight in wars and other costs involved. America couldn't afford to foot the bill. So what President Wilson did was he created the Federal Reserve Act that allowed the 12 Federal Reserve Banks in the U.S. to print money to ensure America's stability, even though we didn't have real money to back it up. I wish I could do that, you know? Right? No, we just need some more money. Let's print it off. So somehow we convinced the rest of the world to see this as currency to accept. And that is what gave us the funds we needed to participate in every war that we've been a part of. Jeez. Yeah. So there's this guy called Louis T. McFadden, who, according to Wikipedia, uh, just because he's not very part of our thing, I just real quick thing about him. He was a banker by trade. He was the chief sponsor of the 1927 McFadden Act, which rechartered the Federal Reserve System in perpetuity, liberalized branch banking for national banks and increased competition between member and non-member banks. He later became an opponent of the Federal Reserve System and conspiracy theorist. So he was in it, and then he's like, this is f***ing corrupt. And then he became, of course, a conspiracy theorist, just like all of us, right? Anyways, so Lewis was in the mix of all the banking stuff, and this is what he was quoted saying. He walked in and said this on the Senate floor about the Federal Reserve Banks. Quote, The Federal Reserve Bank is the biggest fraud in the history of mankind. There is not a man in this house that can hear my voice that doesn't know that the Federal Reserve Bank system is the most corrupt financial institute in the world. Damn. Wow. (laughs) Dang. Many were opposed to the idea of this. And I bring this up because this was set into place by Tavistock through the narrative they were pushing to get us to fight in the war. And us getting backing to do this and President Wilson having the ability to enact this new act without it going through its normal steps of legislation. So with the help of Tavistock propaganda, it influenced us to join in the war efforts. Just like I told you earlier about the stories of Germans cutting off the limbs of children in the village of France and it never freaking happened. That is one of many stories that were put into place through any war you could think of that made us get involved. And that is how another one of our presidents were involved in this wonderful, quote unquote, conspiracy theory. Wow. That's like the king of strange facts and findings. That was a lot to unpack. There, for sure. <laughs> All right. So he's the one that pretty much helped out Tavistock, basically control of currency. Mm-hmm. And he was rushed to do it, too. Like he was rushed to make that reserve act. Just shows you the power of Tavistock. Yep. All right. So another arm to this giant octopus of Tavistock is Rand Research and Development Corporation. 
They are a think tank most admired by Tavistock Institute and certainly the RIIA's most prestigious vehicle for control of the United States policies at every level. Specific RAND policies that became operative include our ICBM program, prime analysis for U.S. foreign policymaking, instigator of space programs, U.S. nuclear policies, hundreds of projects for the military, the CIA in relation to the use of mind-altering drugs like peyote, LSD, you know, the covert MKUltra operation, which lasted 20 years, just to kind of name a few. Aaron, aren't there businesses that are involved that we know of today that are ran by the RAND Corporation? Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, let's see, there's AT&T, uh, Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, International Business Machines, also known as IBM, um, National Science Foundation, Republican Party, TRW, the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Department of Energy, and the U.S. Department of health. So those are just a couple of them. I mean, those are names that we recognize. As, I mean, how many people have AT&T as, serv- as a service, you know? Not, Not me. me. Not me either. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's, again, just another piece of this octopus arm that's out there. And the Rand Corporation is huge, but it's not even the top of the food chain. There's so much more involved with this. I mean, like I said, you guys, we would be going through this for hours and hours and hours talking about this um, with plenty of information, but to try to make it palatable, and I, I'm i sure the boys do too, recommend that you dive in headfirst with your own research and check this out yourself because there's so much to this topic. It's amazing and yet also scary because this is our life. Yeah. Yeah. More than likely, you'll probably find stuff that we haven't even found yet because it's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's the next strange fact and finding we have? So our next strange fact is another person, Lyndon LaRouche, the man trying to expose Tavistock before Dr. John Coleman. Wait, hold on. Who's this John Coleman? Okay. So I know we didn't really dig into Dr. John Coleman. Truthfully, a lot of information you're going to find is by him. Some say that he got the information from Lyndon LaRouche as well as some other people. But really, why are we trying to take credit for anything? This is just information that needs to be heard by anybody. So it doesn't matter who started what, but just know that Dr. John Coleman did a shit ton of research to also learn this information. And you can find interviews with him talking about all this going into detail. His books on Amazon are ridiculously expensive. I'm talking about we looked one up to buy the Tavistock and the Human Relation one. It was seriously $3,000. But you could buy the digital one for 30 but then I thought, what if, what if the digital has shit taken out of it and that's why it's cheaper because they manipulated it to not show us all the information that's in the actual book itself. Or you can go to your local library and request them to get it. What? Ooh. I do that sometimes. The library is just like, damn it, now we got to order this $3,000 book just for this one guy? Fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you oh, lose yeah. it and it only costs you $10 because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's Dr. John Coleman. You could learn a lot about him, but um, he is where we got a lot of information amongst other articles. But he definitely did a lot of uncovering for the Tavistock Institute. Okay. So pretty much him and Lyndon LaRouche are pretty much doing, we're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, after talking about him. 
you know, just like we've been saying this whole episode, there's so many arms to this octopus that we can make this a five-part series if we wanted to. We would have to dive into other parts as their own episodes. So we'll just briefly touch on some of those. We have this amazing article we found written in 1989 by Jeffrey Steinberg that I recommend you check out to learn even more. It was an article from the Executive Intelligence Review, which was edited and founded by Lyndon himself. LaRouche is talking about how American intelligence, the MI5, and, and East German Stasi planned to kidnap two kids to do experiments on. So Steinberg wrote this about LaRouche. LaRouche charged that the incidents were part of a much bigger plot in which major intelligence agencies, both East and West, were using psychedelic drugs and brainwashing techniques on a massive covert scale. In the aftermath of the two drugging kidnapping incidents, one in East Berlin in August of 1973 and the other in London at Christmas. LaRouche commissioned a team of researchers associated with the new Solidarity International Press Service, NSIPS, to conduct an exhaustive investigation into the agencies responsible for the revival of mind control and menticide experiments that had been outlawed and exposed during the Nazi doctor trials at Nuremberg. Rapidly, that inquiry converged on the London-based Tavistock Institute, a psychiatric research clinic that had been at the center of British Army psychiatric and psychological warfare efforts during World War II. Among the leading figures associated with the Institute during the war and in the post-war period were Brigadier General Dr. John Rawlings Reese, who we talked about earlier. Hell yeah. Yes. Touched on him. Dr. William Sargent, Dr. H.V. Dix, and then Dr. Eric Trist. The April-May 1974 issues of the LaRouche Associated, the Campaigner magazine, were both devoted exclusively to, to the exposed of this mind warfare, directed against the American people. In a relating article leading off the series, LaRouche spelled out the broad parameters of the Tavistock plot and identified the specific role of the Central Intelligence Agency and a number of 44 international private CIA-linked foundations and psychiatric research centers in establishing a nationwide infrastructure of community-based psychiatric shock troops. Mm. LaRouche recounted that in response to the first of the two kidnapping drugging incidents, we immediately undertook a substantial investigation of Soviet and Western modes of brainwashing and parallel to this, studies of CIA, NATO, and KGB operations generally. Yeah, damn. This is deep. That's like, this is... <laughs> the thing about this guy is talking about 44 other CIA-linked operations. Like, we didn't even get that deep into it because we couldn't. There's just not enough time, but it's, it's so deep, guys. We're trying to break it down, but this is so deep. It is. Like, this thing, this octopus goes everywhere. Tavistock controls pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. I sent y'all an image. Okay. Uh, yeah, dude, that octopus, what's up with its arms? Like, why has it got arms growing on top of arms? It is a rare mutation to where... The tentacles branch out on the tentacles. I like that. So as we keep calling this, keep talking about this topic being an octopus, it is the rare mutation of octopuses. Mm, I like that. I like that. Because I saw that the other day and I'm just like, holy shit, that's actually kind of scary. All right. So what else is uh, with this strange fact and finding? You got some, a little bit more on it, right? This one that we were just talking about, LaRouche. LaRouche went on to identify the real CIA as a vast octopus extending far beyond the compound at Langley, Virginia, and penetrating many agencies of government. 
as well as most think tanks on behalf of private finance interests rather than any elected agency of government, LaRouche focused special attention on the American universities. So, hmm. so yeah, that shows some of the connections from Tavistock to the CIA to mind control. And this was information that was declassified, and the paper goes to say it would not be until nearly two years later that, ironically, the Rockefeller Commission on U.S. Intelligence Operations, chaired by Nelson Rockefeller, revealed for the first time that the CIA had conducted extensive experiments in mind control using LSD-25, liquid marijuana, and other exotic drugs, as well as such behavior modification techniques as electroconvulsive shock, Sleep therapy, psychic drive, psychic driving. What is that? It's where people get in their cars and just say, I'm going to drive with my mind. <laughs> That's literally what I think when you, like you say that. I mean, it made me think of remote viewing. Kind of like put something like on their head and try to see inside. Well, like uh, with the Hemisync project, the CIA and stuff was involved and it was the room. I think it was the gateway process, if I remember correctly. And someone would travel to a specific time, and they say that this could have been used for spying, that they would remote to view, which is a meditative state, like an astral projection type of thing, that would take them to a place. Pretty much, psychic driving is when they continuously repeat an audio message, pretty much on a loop tape, to alter the behavior of subjects listening to it. So that shit would just be on repeat. Ooh, that's scary. So pretty much like how uh, during wars they do mental warfare, they play something over and over and over. Like, didn't Ooh. they do that in uh, World War II, I want to say? Mm, like crying babies sure. and like, well, they did that at the Davidian compound. Yeah. yeah, the Branch Davidian compound. They Yeah. I remember that. Yep. Then, hmm. well, that's what they did to the 1950s and 1970s. And it would be nearly three years after the Statler-Hilton event that the church committee would provide even more damning details, including the involvement of over 80 American universities in the experimentation with LSD. Which is MKUltra. Yeah, and then we just talked about that guy who became the Harvard University, uh, what was his name, Aaron? You talked about him? Um, yeah, Kurt Lewin. Yeah, Lewin. Yeah, if Kurt Lewin was a part of it, becoming the guy of Harvard... How many other schools are involved in this that have ulterior motives? I know that we have charts that talk about how the Tavistock branches and how certain people are in charge of different departments. And what if these different colleges, that's their specialty. So like Harvard is responsible for, uh, I wish I had the document in front of me. Basically, they're involved with working on psychiatry, law, and medicine. And then you have another major college like Yale, where their is stuff is about law, something, something. And their curriculum, you can go there for legitimate reasons, but there are some things in there that are meant to specifically alter you to a path that they want for the future. So now we're going to go into some more strange facts and findings, some interesting connections. Uh, okay, the first interesting connection we're going to talk about is the Beatles. So this strange fact about the Beatles all starts with an individual named Theodore W. Adorno. So Theodore Adorno was the director of Frankfurt, which is a Tavistock social engineering school. He was also a classical musician who wrote music. Now, interesting fact about Theodore 
is that not only is he the director of the Tavistock Social Engineering School, but get this, he held the rights to all of the Beatles' music. He was the one who actually wrote them, and eventually, after he passed away, his estate sold those rights to Michael Jackson. So another interesting thing is that the John Coleman we were talking about earlier, the one who outed a lot of this stuff, who is also a former MI6 agent, he was quoted saying, the Beatles had their music and lyrics written for them by Theo Adorno, and this was concealed from the public view. Now, those are interesting facts, but why does it matter? Well, there's this theory. Now, I know we haven't jumped into theories yet, so we're just going to jump on this theory real quick. That the Tavistock Institute is the one who pushed the Beatles to fame. They, they were behind it all. All by design. All by planning to mind control. It was used to manipulate what then the baby boomer generation thought. The language and the slang they used. And the, it was all behavior control of the masses during that time. The Beatles were introduced to the public as a means to spread youth culture, which led the spreading of New Age culture, and this was all geared towards setting up this nihilistic culture that is all to present today. So, Oh, that's a hit in the gut. That's just a little, little theory. But what we do know as a strange fact and finding is that this Theodore did own the rights to the Beatles' music. Okay. And he had connection to Tavistock. You guys know I love the Beatles. I have two separate Beatle tattoos. And when I read this about this, I thought to myself, wouldn't this further give ground to the people who believe that Paul McCartney's a clone? Yes, yeah. it would. Yeah, Tavistock is connected to the CIA. And you know that there's got to be tentacles wrapped around cloning. And if their mission was to get the Beatles big and they lost their lead singer, uh, well, sorry, John, their other lead singer, <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that they would have created another Paul to be able to take that place to continue their message. And maybe that's why they only lasted from 60 to 69, you know, like they only were in the 60s. And to this day, 2021 their music still affects us they are one of the most universal bands that anyone could sing at least five of their songs like i know who led zeppelin is i know acdc i could not sing you five of their songs okay maybe i could but like really the beatles are everywhere yeah they are worldwide and they come from england which tavistock is tavistock. very deep into yep their headquarters is in london so Damn. It just blows my mind. Yeah. I love them. I can't lose them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's this next individual that you have that has an interesting <sighs> connection, Anna? Okay. So this name, oh, I hope that you've passed on because I'm going to say it wrong. Zbigniew Brzezinski. He was the 10th U.S. National Security Advisor. He served alongside Jimmy Carter from 1977 to 1981. He also advised Lyndon B. Johnson in 1964. He became a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, the, what we talked about earlier, the CFR, 
in New York and attended meetings of the Bilderberg Group. Bilderberg? Mm. Mm. We may be covering them pretty soon. Yes. Oh, so we aren't diving too deep into him. I brought him up because he's with this next connection, too. Could you believe that Reverend Jim Jones found his way into this episode? Oh, boy. I love me some good cult leaders. I know. I was going to say, for y'all that don't know, he had a very infamous cult and uh, everybody died. Spoiler, pretty much everybody died. (laughs) Don't join his cult. (laughs) Do not. Everybody died. Uh, But again, with... I would love to do an episode on that sometime, and I wonder now that we know this if we can pull connections between the two. But, anyways, so in the Executive Intelligence Review or the EIR for short, um, that was written by Lyndon Larouche, and or he's the founder and editor of that EIR. So in 1979, an article was written titled "How Brzezinski is Linked to Jones Cult." So there's a quote from it that says. We have quite correctly defined the most important of the foreign intelligence operations at Tavistock as organized into two principal divisions. The first termed the sociology division and the second the political division. As we shall demonstrate, the creation of the People's Temple cult was accomplished by the first of these two divisions. It is to that side of the line of organization that the late Jim Jones belonged. And Mr. Brzezinski, as we shall see, belongs to the second of the two indicated operation divisions. And so we'll link that article. It breaks down so many different things. But one person I did not plan to see wrapped up into this was Jim Jones. (laughs) Maybe they wanted to see how well their mind control worked. Yes. So they said, let's get Jim Jones to do it. We'll teach him this stuff. and. Pretty much Tavistock was like, well, it killed, what, 900 people he was able to? Yeah, like ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, good good job. Yeah, that worked well. And I mean, <laughs> Jesus, I know. <laughs> I was thinking about, did they do drugs on the compound? Did they do therapy with like LSD or anything on it? I, I don't know. Wow. I haven't looked into them, but I want to do an episode on them very I soon. Did. I'm like thinking they, all these little techniques they could have used with, this is a mass scale to be able to do it. You guys got to understand this man got people to leave America to go to South, a- is it South Africa? Jonestown. South, I don't know. It might've been South America. He got them to leave the state to go do this. And that's how quote unquote, maybe brainwashed people were. It, it's definitely one that we, we got to go into, but I just, when I saw it, I felt like we had to include it, even though we aren't diving into it too much. But it also kind of talked about how the, these divisions, so as I was mentioning earlier with the colleges, they're responsible for certain objectives, and that's just their focus. Well, these were two people who were in charge of certain divisions and working on the major objective, which in this case apparently was to kill a bunch of people for Jim Jones to see how many people he could get. All right. Um, so I guess we'll go on to the next strange fact and finding. So this next one is how I found out about Tavistock. So around nine years ago, I was working at this one place in Texas, and this individual there named James was cruising around on a message board. I was walking by his computer, and I said, what is that? And uh, he said, oh, it's a conspiracy site. You should check it out. I was like, meh, 
Okay, I'll check it out. This conspiracy site was called Godlike Productions. So I started going to this site just to read some interesting posts, and then I noticed that whenever someone started talking about Tavistock, that they would spell out the word in weird ways. You know, I was like, that's weird. Why do they keep bringing it up and spelling it like this? So I posted a question on the form asking people there why they didn't just say the name Tavistock. And I clicked to submit the question. As soon as I clicked submit, I was instantly banned on the site. Not regularly banned. My entire IP address was banned from it. Just for posting the word Tavistock. Which... I guess it kind of answered my questions as to why they weren't just saying the name and they were spelling it weird name, or weird ways because if they said the name, it would result in an auto ban. So, of course, this made me start digging as to why. Why even mentioning the word Tavistock on a conspiracy site would get you banned immediately? So as, as I started to dig, I quickly found out that the top conspiracy discussion sites all had the same outcome when posting the word Tavistock. You would get automatically banned. Now, as I dug deeper and deeper into these conspiracy websites, I found out some interesting facts, such as one of the moderators of these conspiracy websites has the same IP address as the NSA whistleblower James Casbolt, who is a former MI6 agent who worked in black ops drug trafficking operations in London between 1995 and 1999. I thought, hmm, well, let me dig into the owner of the original site I was looking at, Godlike Productions. And I found the owner was a guy named Jason Lucas, which, of course, this conspiracy form was the one, like I said, initially banned me for using the word Tavistock and had the mod, who is James Casbolt. So, the internet has like a bunch of cesspools, right? <laughs> However, one website is truly now the anus of disinformation. And that website is Godlike Productions. I mean, okay, it was a great website back in the day, right? A great conspiracy website back in the day. But after 2015, somewhere around 2015, 2016, it became nothing but an anus cesspool of disinformation of nothing but political posts. There's no more conspiracy discussions. It's all political. So I, I, I don't even get on it now. Anyways, back to Jason Lucas, the owner of the site. So I was able to find Jason Lucas and uh, I found out that he had a background in, uh, in computer programming and actually owned a media business called C2 Media LTD. I started scouring through government documents and found out that he wrote the Federal Trade Commission a letter back in 2004 that was titled Monitoring Software on Your PC, Spyware, Adware, and Other Software. Now, I have a link to that letter, and uh, the government posted the letter on the .gov website, but eventually pulled it, and I wasn't able to find it until I was able uh, until I went to the internet archive machine and was able to retrieve it. So I'll post a link to that. Anyways, the letter shows his C2 Media Limited company, and I was able to find the address of that company, which is also where Jason Lucas stays at. 
So this address was on High Road North Finchley, London. So I was curious and decided to look up the Tavistock Institute address and see how far this was from the Tavistock Institute. He is only located, get this, eight miles from the Tavistock Institute. Eight miles. Oh. That, that's it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's not a weird coincidence or anything. All right. So that got me thinking about a theory. So what if the alternative media outlets, a.k.a. conspiracy websites, are a part of Tavistock's operation? It, now, they intend to infiltrate these sites in order to disrupt, subvert, and radicalize them and the users on them. Now, some of these sites start off as legitimate and later become compromised. They operate sort of as like a fishing net, drawing in anyone who is not the sheep, you know, following the status quo because these individuals are kind of like free thinkers, right? Think outside of the box. So, like, how can we gather these sheep up? Um, or how can we gather these people up? Well, let's let's uh, compromise these sites and get information about this. So if that's the case, then that then the theory could be that maybe the entire internet is used kind of like as a net, a fishing net, and managed by, by Tavistock, which is connected with military and intelligence agencies like the NSA. They gather information on certain individuals and covertly carry out a type of brainwashing on these sites, getting the individuals there to be influenced to do certain things by them so and think certain ways. And it, it rolls into the next theory. I mean, the, this theory is kind of like the same thing. Um, who wants to cover it? I'll cover that one. So like Aaron was saying, it, his previous theory goes into this one. The theory he just talked about could not only be just the conspiracy websites or internet, but entail everything, such as YouTubers, TikTok, music genre, TV stations, anything that has a major influence on the mass population. Tavistock puts individuals and makes their rise to fame and controls everything they say and do. It is all about control. Yeah, it's basically a way for them to control everybody. Dude, the Chatham House. I mean, Chatham House, and then you got the CFR. They're part of each political party. They have sides, like people in each sides. So no matter what happens, they have control. Yeah. Well, and even if you go back to when they uh, were getting kind of started, Chatham House was connected to Wellington House and Wellington House, but it had two individuals who ran different newspapers. One was doing the uh, the daily, and it was sending newspapers to people on the front line, free of charge, to keep the morale up in war. And they did this because, in turn, if you made the soldiers happy, it prolonged the war. And prolonging the war makes money for the people involved. So not only was it uh, manipulating the soldiers, it was also giving misinformation to the public of what was happening. So like we talk about how the media is run by the dark forces, even back then, the Wellington House was already starting to be the media that was sending the narrative of the elite. Yeah, it's it's all control. Before I get into my own personal thoughts, do you want to cover the last theory and then we'll roll into personal thoughts and theories and all that? 
Yes. And his name, by the way, is Alfred Charles Williams Hemsworth. He's the chairman of the Daily Mail and General Trust, and Northcliffe uh, owned the Daily Newspaper. They are related to the Ro- Northcliffe was related to the Rothschild by marriage. Oh, damn. Damn you, Rothschilds. They're everywhere. Rothschilds, Rockefellers. I'm going to change my Ooh. name to that. Except for one now. <laughs> oh, I know. What, Aaron, died of a heart some... attack today? Yeah. One less heir to that throne. Thank God. Okay. They're going to come after me for saying so, that. So I think all of, I know, this whole episode, let's see if it's even searchable on Apple iTunes after this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so the third theory we have, again, is a control thing. That's what we really saw in this. So it's a new world order. They want control. Okay, with brainwashing us comes them being able to direct us down the path that they desire. Depopulation and controlling their agenda. Like we mentioned earlier, you need compliance for a new world order to really take place. So the more we resist their techniques of trying to brainwash us, the less likely they will be able to force the new world order on us. Because we have no reason to comply with that type of living. All right. So what is y'all's personal thoughts and theories behind all this? Do you believe Tavistock is really the octopus behind this all? Do you believe that they were an institute and it's all a conspiracy and that they don't really have control over anything and that they just kind of like talk to corporations and give them feedback into, hey, this is what your consumer wants? What is your whole thoughts behind all this? Start with you, Dan. So... I 100% believe that they have a pretty much a finger in everything going on. Department of Health, Energy, Politics. Are they in 100% control? No, not yet. They want to be. Hmm. I, I think th- that at one point before social media came along, they had major control over the population. Mass media came along, and, or social media came along made it harder for them to be in control and they lost some of that. And I think they're finally figuring out how to get it back and putting these individuals in certain places in social media to influence the masses, kind of like how the Beatles were put in place to influence a certain generation to think and feel a certain way. I think we're starting to see that with, I was thinking about the other day, YouTube, right? How many parents give their children a iPad or a, a device and say, just watch YouTube. And then um, was a couple years back, you've seen some of those weird MK Ultra type videos come out on YouTube of like fucking Mickey Mouse killing Minnie or something like that. There was like a tons of them, some kind of like mind control videos. And it makes me wonder if they're still doing some experiments on young children without the public knowing by by using youtube or using some other way of like you know and seeing how that influences the youth and they still haven't fully figured it out yet after all these years i don't know that's where i'm kind of am with it i think they once had almost full control and they lost it and then they're starting to gain it back but i do think there's way too many coincidences and they have a lot of octopus arms out there it goes way deeper than we were even able to touch on our cover today. And I suggest everybody look into it and see the weird coincidence and connections. Oh, yeah. Because there is a lot. It's a huge spider web. It is. 
And I wanted to ask you, Aaron, so you're saying like you feel like social media and whatever's taken over. But to point out, back in the day, there were a ton of different people owning media companies. And over the last 10 years, they've consolidated and only a handful of people run all of media. So what if that's part of their plan? There were individual people who did something for the good. They were just trying to be people with with a vision. And then Tavistock came in and was like, sorry, you don't run this shit. (laughs) Like, we're going to take you over. We'll buy you out. But we're going to take you over and we're going to run the narrative of whatever this is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly like you said. It was owned by a lot more people. Now you look at it, it's only owned by a few corporations. I think those corporations... Hold on, let me back up. I remember reading something about Tavistock having this class that all of the corporations, their higher-ups, the CEOs, get sent to this Tavistock Institute class and get taught leadership training skills. What if that's a way for Tavistock to have a hand in controlling corporations and they answer to Tavistock? So for like a, an innocent corporation, they think they're going to this amazing seminar that's going to help them become a better leader. But really, Tavistock is now using this as a fishing net to catch all the people who are running the businesses and then utilizing them for their advantage. And if you're a small business and you're starting to grow and you can't be bought out by any other business, they then run you out whichever way or they take their time and say, OK, this business is eventually going to uh eventually going to fail. And if it doesn't, we're going to use just as a theory, COVID as a way we're going to use this to our advantage and get all the small businesses to be shut down. So all of these middle-class people who own these small businesses can no longer able to afford it. So these big corporations now have control, which we have control over them. Yeah, you're right. No, I like that. Cause We as the middle class have a ton of power, which is why they fear us and they are trying to take us over and depopulate so that way they can have control. Because right now we do control the narrative. We could stop buying the shit that they're feeding us. Not food. We need food, but other stuff. Um, Amazon. That has taken over shopping. I I think it's too far. I think we're too far gone. I I, I think it's... they have sunk their claws too deep into the gener or to the to the friggin um population that it's 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 too late how many people if if you say all right let's not use facebook between 7 a.m to 7 p.m tonight and they take a hit on ads how many people are really going to remember that how many people are going to say okay you can't order from amazon for the next week how many people are going to do it a lot of people tried i I don't think the the people care it's about convenience for them and this is not bashing this is just saying that showing how far the claws or the octopus tentacles have embedded itself into this world so i think it comes down to an individual's ability to step out of the brainwashed world that you're living in and see that before we came from a time where you wrote letters to people and it took weeks to get back to like we're so used to instant gratification that if we take that out and start living in the present and appreciating the life and the things we have 
you wouldn't feel the need to go and buy things off Amazon. You wouldn't feel pressured, oh, I'm bored, I'm going to go shop on Etsy now. We have been brainwashed for that. So it would take you as an individual wanting your own power back to say, f*** you, corporations. I'm not only going to not buy from you, I'm going to shop local. I'm going to take less time off social media. Like, you may not be able to do this all at once, but you can make these steps to detox yourself from what we have. You guys know I've been detoxing from technology for months now. It's not easy to do. It's very in front of us. But you sell your TV, then tell me that you don't have time to do something else. We have these objects in our home that make our lives convenient and easier. But when you were a kid, you didn't have these things, maybe depending on your age. But you found excitement in doing the simplest of things because you actually enjoyed them. Get back to doing that. Find yourself doing the activities that make you happy. And you won't think about going shopping for useless stuff because I need another plant in my fucking house. Like, you can find happiness without the corruption that's around you. So I don't think it's too far gone. It just it's going to take a lot of work and it would take a big dramatic change for everyone to see. And every single day we get more and more information that's opening people's eyes to what's happening around them. Yep, I agree. A hundred percent. I can see that. All right. So does anybody else got anything they want to add to personal thoughts and theories before we roll into Hans's on the scene? Mm-mm. Anna, you good? Yeah. I mean, I'm on page with this document. That's brainwash. <laughs> okay. Dan? Uh, y'all nailed it pretty much. It, there's so much to this that if we were to keep going, be another hour, two hours, three hours, another day's weeks another week (laughs) it it won't end because there's so much that we still didn't cover and even the stuff we did cover there's still more to those so it's yeah it's it's a deep octopus that we we knew we had to do an episode over yeah Mm -hmm. yeah all right so that is the end of today's episode so now we're going to move on to hans is on the scene if you aren't familiar with hans is on the scene hans is our in the field reporter that goes out to the public and interviews random individuals to get their opinions on current conspiracy happenings around the world. So we will play this week's Hans on the scene right now. So do you believe in conspiracy theories? Maybe. Maybe. Which ones? Which ones do you believe in? Uh, the Epstein? The Epstein one? Well, okay, I should I should preface both Epstein ones. Epstein being, you know, uh, you know, pedophile island. Yeah. Primarily before they found out again. Yeah. Because he was arrested twice for it. Uh-huh. The second time, of course, you know, he was killed himself. It's like, hmm. What other ones besides Epstein? Not entirely sure. No? Do you believe in UFOs? Possibly. I think there have been instruments that are like, hey, how I even think someone in the high level of government was like, yeah, they exist. Because they don't it's like, yeah. So, do you believe in aliens, though? Yes. What would you do if you woke up with one playing patty cake with your butt cheeks? Oh, boy. Would you you tell anybody? I'd be like, hey, you're the one that happened to me. Oh, hell yeah. The aliens came after my ass. The alien came after your ass.
Nice. Side note, we really need to order him that. I was that, just going to say that. Like, we yeah. really need to order it for him. So tell me, is it, maybe, this is what I'm taking from it. The man believes in aliens, but not UFOs. How do they get here? They live in the water. Other dimensions. Did you say they walk, Dan? They live in the water. Oh, well, that could be too. You know, Hans, thank you for the on the scene. Uh, I admit it was a little hard to hear him. I understand he's busy working and we're taking time out of his day to hear this. Um, but Epstein, totally believe in that too, obviously. But thanks, dude. Yeah, just like the ornaments on my tree. Didn't hang themselves. <laughs> Damn, Dan, that was good. Easy. Too bad Aaron missed that funny part because he's looking at his phone. Yes, thank you, Hans, for the great on the scene this week. I love you so much, and I miss you. Yes, much love. I love you. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'd be sorry to Dan. He's the one talking. Oh, sorry, Dan. Piece of shit. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to move into this week's shout-outs. Um, I got a couple shout-outs. I want to shout-out Doug Parsons on Instagram. I want to shout-out Nate. Uh, much love to you. Got a lot of messages um, on Instagram. Steve B, Dreamy, Biscott Villain, Harmony R, Alicia P, Jonathan A, Alonzo, Cody B, Nate, Andrew N, Mondo C, Lee P, Rudy V, William C, Omar J, um, Ronnie, Abby, Salman, uh, Fadi, Youngstar Blockboy. What's up to you, dog? I see you hitting us up, sending us a uh, video. Didn't know. I just now saw your message. Didn't see that you messaged us till now. I got a lot of messages to respond to, but... What's up to all you guys? I appreciate the love on Instagram. I'll respond to all of your messages. And I just appreciate the love. I'm sending it right back to you. Thank you for all your support. It means a lot to all of us. And um, thank you. And I'm proud of every single one of you. And I hope you have a great week. Boom. All right. Dan, what do you have for Facebook shoutouts? All right. Got a couple shoutouts. Got shout out to Rob. Billy, Zoe, told you I'd give you a shout out this week. Told you to listen, so you better be listening. Then Devin, Tyler, Gabriel, Brennick, Carrie, and Adam. All on Facebook. They messaged me. I've been talking to them. Great people. Then two on Discord. I'm giving a shout out to Andy because he asked for a shout out. So here's your shout out, buddy. And then Slickers. Keeping it real. Slickers, love you, bro. Love that man. Love you, Wraith. Solo. Oh yeah, Wraith. My son. He's so awesome. Oh well, is that everybody, Dan? And uh, let's see, he changed his name again, but kneecaps. We all know who kneecaps is. Oh yeah. Kneecaps, love you, bro. Miss yeah, you. Dude, love oh, you too. uh, also want to shout out um, Baphomet's hammer. Ooh. Dude did some excellent stuff for me. Um, I can't express my gratitude through words of how much I am thankful for what he did. Uh, everything is back to normal so far. So I really appreciate it, man. I really appreciate the energy, the love that you're sending. I'm sending it right back to you, man. It means a lot. 
Yeah, I know a lot of people came together to help you with your demon problem, like L and Rabbit made, you know, a, yeah. a sigil for you and stuff. Like, people really came together, and it was really awesome to see how many people were like, we got you, Aaron. Yeah, thank you to all those people, man. It means a lot. You know, I'm not used to individuals caring, you know, and showing that they care, so it's kind of, like, new to me. But uh, I, love you. I, I really but appreciate I it. You. and. Uh, uh, I love you all. Thank you so much. Aaron just ignores our feelings. I know. He don't care about yeah, us. I ignore y'all. Y'all don't count. No. Oh, we don't count? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just I love you. Uh, much love. No, but yeah. All right. Who do you got for shout outs on twat, twatter? Twatter, twatter. Tweeter. Well, I have Russ, uh, Johnny Tsunami. Haven't heard a lot from you, dude, but I'm glad that you are happy that we are back and that you aren't dying anymore. Also, Sky, thank you for making Twitter so that way you could talk and hang out with me. Um, Grace Ruby, Red Dragon, Marissa, Unholy Kev. I have a question mark. Dude, the demon that we exercised from your home started following us on Twitter too. Um, hmm. Let's see. Damn. Mystic Focus sent us a video with Blue's Clues showing a bunch of pedo symbols. Um, <laughs> find the second, find the pedo clue. It's <laughs> in your notebook. It's literally in the picture on like they have the spirals in a scarf that he's wearing, seemingly very out of place. Um, this guy Mike said he ordered himself a Ouija board, and I advised him to return it, and he said that. Yeah, I'm not messing with one of those anymore. Yeah, dude, I would not. I don't even think we should joke about it anymore. Um. But he was saying that he was kidding, but he was thinking about how much more exciting his life would be if he if it was haunted. Uh, da, 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 da. Chad Easy, Aaron McAllister. You know, my man kneecaps on here. We have Darth William and Jose Van Damme. <laughs> so those are my Twitter shout outs. Oh, and Benji messaged me today. I haven't heard from him in a while. So that was really good to see from him. I have just a couple email emails that I got. Um, Yvonne, every time I say that name, it makes me think of um, that skit, Can I Have Your Number? Yvonne, that's a French-ass name, Yvonne. My little croissant. Can I get your number? Yes. Can I please receive this secret code that if entered telephonically will connect me through to you, therefore being your beautiful-ass number? I love that skit. Okay, anyways, so I sent you guys, I forwarded you an email from... Yvonne that had seen a rainbow glare in the sky and that was really cool to see. Um, I also forwarded you one from Roy that he had seen um, an object that was really interesting and I appreciate all the time you put into writing that out and the pictures that you sent were crazy dude like in the video. You guys are do you see this video of this fucking rock spinning circles off, it's literally floating off the ground, spinning around. And Roy, are you on Patreon? If not, uh, can you email me and let me know if I can have your permission to post this on the Discord? Because I think this is a really cool video to show people. Um, but yeah, so those are my shout outs this week. I know you got Andy. I was going to shout him out because he appreciates some shout outs. But yeah, that's everybody I have this week. You guys are awesome. Thank you for reaching out. I appreciate your guys' patience with me getting back to you on Discord. 
As you guys continually hear from me, I have really disconnected from social media. And unfortunately, that does cut back my time on Discord. But when I'm there, I really try to engage and make sure that everybody gets that personal attention. So uh, again, thank you. I love you all. Nice. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. I want to thank you all for joining us. And again, thank you all for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan and Ani, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone. Boom. Boom.